Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Down here in Louisiana, we're currently in the midst of one of the longest king cake seasons possible. We begin eating king cake on the Feast of the Epiphany, January 6th, and don't stop until Mardi Gras Day, which this year is March 1st. Count them. That's a full 55 days of king cake consumption. On this week's show, we're doing a deep dive into king cake with Matt Haynes, author of the newly published Big Book of King Cake. Matt uncovered amazing historical facts and chronicled the lives and cakes of 75 bakers while writing his amazing Bible. Then we'll meet my favorite new king cake baker, Martha Gilreath of the pop-up bakery Nolita. Martha's story inspires me every day, and Lord, she bakes a mean king cake. And we'll hear one more time from Will Samuels, the amazing entrepreneur behind the King Cake Hub, an enterprise that has helped New Orleanians discover king cakes from far and wide. We lost Will to cancer last fall, but we're grateful that his widow Jennifer is carrying on the family business. So put the coffee on or pop the top on the champagne bottle and prepare for a king cake overload on this week's Louisiana Eats. My name is Matt Haynes and I'm the author of The Big Book of King Cake. Sprawling over 300 pages and weighing in at almost five pounds, the definitive Bible of our favorite carnival treat has finally arrived. The Big Book of King Cake meticulously covers the ubiquitous pastry from all angles, from its international history to today's innovations, fueled by a diverse community of Louisiana bakers. While our state's king cake obsession has been building to a fevered frenzy over the last few years, it took Long Island native and first-time author Matt Haynes to realize a king cake companion was long overdue. After living in New Orleans for almost a decade, in 2017, Matt found himself nursing a broken heart from a recent breakup. His antidote? King cake and he vowed to sample every version available. Though he didn't quite meet his goal, Matt got pretty close, all the while maintaining an online spreadsheet where he logged the style and flavor of each variety he tried. As Matt explained, this experience helped lay the foundation for him to become a writer and publish the big book of King Cake five years later. Back in 2017, 
I wasn't even a writer at that point. I was just going to a king cake party. And my personality is one in which I wanted to bring the very best king cake to that party. I wanted to win it. And so I started to look at different lists. And I saw this one list of top 10 king cakes. And I was like, oh, those look interesting. Let me put them on a spreadsheet. And then I found another list of top 10 king cakes. I put those on a spreadsheet. And all of a sudden, my spreadsheet had 100 plus king cakes on it. <laughs> and that year, I was like, well, it's a long carnival season. Not as long as this one, but it was still very long. And so I was like, I'm going to try to eat them all. And I didn't, but I got through like 88 of them. Most of it was just me driving around to different bakeries and, and begging them to give me one slice so I didn't have to eat an entire uh, king cake 88 times. <laughs> <laughs> and I was had the spreadsheet, and I remember on Fat Tuesday I was uh, walking around kind of following St. Anne's in the Bywater Marini, and I looked at my spreadsheet, and there were like 400 and something people logged onto it. Um, so that was kind of exciting. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I started to, I was like, oh, let me try. I've always wanted to be a writer. Let me just see how I do. So slowly but surely, I picked up more gigs. And around carnival season each year, I knew a lot about king cakes, so I'd write a bunch of those articles. And after that, I thought, hmm, I wonder when the last time somebody wrote a book about this was. And then much to my surprise, uh, nobody had ever written a book about it except for, you know, a children's book here or a children's book there. Right. So I thought maybe I should do it. I loved that you brought up king cake parties because that certainly is what I grew up doing every Friday night. Mm -hmm. There used to be these sort of Friday night mixers where the Ursuline girls would get to hang out with some boys and eat king cake. It was a big part of our social life. Yeah, it seems so interesting. I mean, it's obviously something that now there's king cake parties thrown by, you know, everybody here. And I know that in schools, they still have king cake parties every Friday, it seems like. But what I didn't realize until I started researching for the book is that King cake parties are really what transitioned king cakes into the everyday home. So before that, it was mostly like a Creole thing or a thing you'd find in Mardi Gras cruise. But then slowly but surely, and mostly because of, of young kids as a way to socialize, they started to, they would meet at somebody's house and somebody would bring the king cake. There'd be a bean or a baby in one of them. And then whoever found it would then have to host the next party. And that's what transitioned king cake from a uh, Christmas time thing to a carnival time thing because, okay, then the next week somebody's responsible for bringing the next king cake and then the next week and then the next week. And so it's something that would go on for quite some time. Let's talk about the fev versus the baby versus the bean. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say about that? Well, it seems like it all started with the bean. And so the bean, a fava bean, was very typical in your ancient Roman Saturnalia cake, which seems to be the original version of our king cake. And so we, and we still see beans to this day. So it's not like that tradition has, has died out. And the, and the bean is very symbolic for fertility, um, which is all tied to, you know, king cake is in this time of season getting towards springtime. Fertility is a really big part of the symbolism around that. So this Bev thing, it's, it's like a cult thing in France, certainly. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, even here now, so these Fevs are these really ornately decorated, tiny, about the size of a uh, maybe a little bit bigger than a king cake plastic baby. Originally, they might be a crown. Uh, now they can be anything. In France, they come in all shapes and sizes. They have some uh, that are like related to the Kama Sutra. They have some that are related to the, uh, the World Cup winning French soccer team. Certain artists will create them specifically for the, it is really a, a phenomenon, and they've got this word now, fevophile, are people who collect, yeah, are people who collect fevs. Well, I learned so much in your book. I had no idea that king cake 
was so international mm -hmm. and um, available and a part of the culture of so many countries. Yeah, and, and so literal too, like almost all of them translate to king's cake or king cake or the cake of kings or something like that. And so um, I found bakers, I found people from those countries in New Orleans and convinced them to make a cake for me. So somebody from the Swiss American Society, somebody from the Greek church uh, along Bayou St. John, uh, all of these different places. And so we've got king cakes in the book from northern France and southern France, from Spain and Mexico, from Greece and Cyprus, from South Germany and Switzerland. Um, and how were they similar and how were they different? So I think the biggest similarity with all of them is they all have something uh, hidden inside, and the person who finds uh, that in their cake would get usually some sort of good fortune. Uh, though uh, Portugal is funny because they acknowledge, I think, what a lot of New Orleanians feel is like, wait, why is this good luck exactly <laughs> that I have to buy the next king cake? And so they actually <laughs> translate it to bad luck. And so they have a saying uh, that actually like you basically, oh, great, I found the bean. Kind of like this is not good luck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that that could go any time during the year, huh? If that's an it's an expression, it's a colloquial yeah, yeah. They expression. would use it all exactly right. Yep. Oh, and, that's great! Mm -hmm. I found the bean. For the most part, I think the similarities are they're circular. They've got something hidden inside. Uh, they're typically colorful. A lot of times with fruit and and nuts. Though here in Louisiana, obviously we've changed that with the colored sugar. Well, you know, we um, got our big translation here in New Orleans, I think, with Mackenzie's. Mm -hmm. What place do you see that the Mackenzie King Cake has? Yeah, the way that I see it is, so um, starting with like interviews with the Mackenzie family, when they think back to that time, they say that they had only sold in a carnival season, they were selling a dozen, you know, a half really? dozen cakes. That's it in like the 1930s and 40s. So um, it was Mackenzie's that kind of put in our mind, this is what a king cake looks like. And then everything that's happened since Mackenzie's has been um, moving away from that thing. You know, like a lot of the king cakes in this book, if we presented them to a New Orleanian 50 years ago, they'd say that most of them were not king cake. Only Mackenzie's was king cake. So, you know. They would were... think you were a Martian if yes, you right. <laughs> presented this to most people 50 years ago. <laughs> yes. So what do you think stretches reality most with king cake mania, Matt? I think that the, so that we've got a king cake charcuterie board here, um, and that's from um, a bakery in Slidell. And she has, I mean, she has king cake on a stick. She has king cake nuggets that she can dip in. She has this king cake charcuterie board. She has Halloween king cakes with a cleaver sticking out the top. And for her, um, she just wants to create as many different ways for somebody to enjoy king cake as they possibly can. And so, you know, I... I I think the more, to me, the more the merrier and let people decide what they want. There's also a king cake soap here, um, which, uh, you know, is fragrance. Smells like cinnamon, huh? Yeah, right. And so people like cinnamon, so why not? Well, the interesting thing that I came out of the book with is that king cake seems to be something that's aspirational for entrepreneurs. This is obviously an aspirational thing. Yeah, I think that now king cakes are it's an if you own a bakery it's almost expected that what's your king cake going to be something that i think that i thought was interesting because at first this book was going to really be about the cakes this was going to be a book about king cake and then i quickly figured out oh this is way more interesting if it's a book about the people who make the king cakes and so i transitioned the book over to that and it happened fast as soon as i started talking i think our first photo, photo shoot was at tartine uh with kara henderson and i was like oh my god her story is far more interesting like, this cake is beautiful and it's delicious but her story is the amazing part about this i think people think of king cake as 
for some people, it's about the ingredients specifically. It's like, oh, a king cake to me has to be um, has icing or doesn't have icing or has these three colored sugars or doesn't have them. For other people, the king cake is about the traditions, the family that goes around it. You know, so Hugo Montero over at uh, Casa Borrega, he's from Mexico originally. He said he remembers every January 6th, his parents uh, bringing in the, the king cake, their king cake, and it just brightening up his eyes. And then he's got two boys now who were born here in New Orleans. And so for Hugo, um, he moved to New Orleans. He loves it here, but he didn't really connect with the traditions that much until he brought his son to a Mackenzie's um, you know, a couple of decades ago and seeing his son's face light up. And it reminded him of his own face lighting up when he said, he's like, this is what I must have looked like. And so seeing that, he was like, wow, I, this, is a, this is the most familiar thing that I've experienced here in New Orleans. I want to put my own stamp on this somehow at my restaurant. And so they created the Taco King cake. They serve tacos there. He found a kind of a mold that they can do to create it. They're, it's beautifully colored. It tastes delicious. It's got the babies on it. For Hugo, he could seem to seemingly care less about what is actually in the king cake. For him, it's about the tradition and the feeling that it gave him. And so I think um, it's interesting. We're in a time right now where some people want king cake and most foods, I think, to be very traditional. Other people are willing to push it to the limit. And I think it's fun to see these two different groups kind of battle out and find something in the middle. Matt, thank you for this beautiful, definitive work on the king cake. I just love the book. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thank you for having me on and let me talk about it a little bit. That was Matt Haynes, author of The Big Book of King Cake. You can find his colorful coffee table tome in bookshops and bakeries across New Orleans. Coming up next, we meet king cake baker Martha Gilry, who triumphed over the odds to make a sweeter life for herself at her pop-up bakery, Nolita. Louisiana Eats returns with her story after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Camellia Brand, Beans Done Right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. And now, from red beans to roux, Camellia Brand has a seasoning mix designed to simplify your dinner time in the kitchen. Red beans, white beans, gumbo jambalaya, and dirty rice mixes are authentically crafted with the quality ingredients you expect from Camellia brand. Each mix offers versatile options for your family's dinner table. Whether vegan or vegetarian or flexitarian, Camellia's got the mix. Now available on grocery store shelves everywhere. Support also comes from Rouse's Markets synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets tastes like home. 
and from Crystal Hot Sauce, made with three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal Hot Sauce, how New Orleans does flavor. On this week's show, we're exploring all things king cake in Louisiana. Before the break, we spoke with the author of the big book of king cake, Matt Haynes. When Matt first started working on the project, he thought the main subject would be the king cakes themselves. But he quickly realized that it was much more interesting to focus on the bakers behind the confections, telling the story of how each baker's history led them to create their own special cake. Out of all the bakers Matt profiled in his book, the story of our next guest captivated me the most. My name is Martha Gilreath, and my business is Nolita. For Martha Gilreath, king cake is more than just a seasonal treat. It represents a fresh start. These days, you'll find Martha online at her pop-up bakery, Nolita, serving up her signature king cakes made with orange blossom water and satsuma zest. But she had to overcome huge odds to get there. Martha joined us in the studio to tell us about her journey. So my dad is from the West Bank and my mom is from Baton Rouge, and I grew up on the North Shore for a while. Um, And somewhere along the way in uh, my early 20s, I got very, very lost and was in active addiction, drug addiction, for the better part of 16 years. Uh, And I came back home to New Orleans in 2015 and ended up homeless, um, living under the Claiborne Bridge uh, by Lee Circle. And I continued that way of life uh, through the winters and summers, and it was miserable. And it occurred to me that I was not going to die from this disease. I was going to probably wake up every day for the next 30 years and live like this. And that was something I couldn't do anymore. Uh, I went to Charleston, and I got treatment. And when I was about five months sober... I'd always loved to cook. I grew up in the kitchen with my mom cooking for all six kids and, you know, just good old Creole food. And I loved, I loved cooking um, at the rehab facility I was in. And I got to see what that did for people, that little moment of escapism, you know, when they're, when they're in these really dark places and there's not a lot of hope. Um, for some reason, everybody appreciates a treat. And so I decided... I want to do this, but I want to be the best at it. (laughs) So I started looking up culinary schools, and I discovered Noki, which they had opened in New Orleans. And it took a lot of pausing and a lot of seeking direction to decide to move back to New Orleans and uh, pursue that. You know, I was very newly sober and full of a lot of fear. But I applied, and I got a scholarship. Well, you entered the pastry program there. Why were you drawn to pastry, Martha? I think that pastry, there's something so magical about the science behind it. It's, you know, you see these wonderful, fantastic, fabulous desserts, 
and you don't realize how meticulous in nature they really are. And I had started developing those practices in my life, uh, patience, following direction, rules, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and it challenged me. You know, I, I could stay on the culinary side of things and taste things and figure it out, or I could apply this discipline that I never had. And so it was challenging. You, you had a particular cake moment before you came back to New Orleans. I did. I um, was in a treatment center, and there was a new resident. He was turning 21 in treatment, which I imagine was very not fun for him. And, you know, it's the small things, the small ways we try to celebrate each other. And I found out that he loved cheesecake. And so I made a cheesecake, and I'll never forget, I walked outside to smoke a cigarette, um, and it was dark, and the windows to the dining room were illuminated. And I looked in there, and he was sitting with a few of his friends, and it was the first time I'd seen him smile. Oh. And in that moment, it, it just clicked for me. This is this is what I want to do, is to make people smile. When did the irony of the school's location and your homeless experience, when did that hit you? It, it was actually not during orientation because I had parked somewhere else, but they gave us suggestions for parking during the school year. And one of them was right under the Crescent City Connection. And, you know, it's 6 o'clock in the morning and I'm trying to park and I pull up and it's the little lot that they had suggested was the exact location where I had slept for so long. And on the other side of where I parked, there was still a row of tents there. And it was extremely overwhelming and gratifying. And it continued to be a healing process throughout me going to school. Because every morning, I would park there. for And for about 10 seconds, there's a choice every morning. So it was. But I also think that that's the universe bringing things full circle for me. I understand that when it came time to graduate, you were the class valedictorian. It was. I didn't even know they had valedictorians <laughs> over there. Tell me about that experience. Um, it was surreal. It was surreal because I can't tell you the last time I finished something in my life that I had any follow through, whether it was being a part of my family or just going to work. Um, I'd never, I hadn't seen anything through in 16 years, 17 years. And the very first week of school, I remember sitting in that pastry lab and thinking, I cannot do this. I was so uncomfortable and so terrified of failing again. And so I just showed up every day. I showed up and I listened and I asked for help and I helped people that needed help. And then I got asked to step outside of class one day and Chef Miller told me to write a speech and I, I paused and I said, okay, I think I know where this is going, but I'm not sure, so please tell me. Um, and it was a great experience because at that graduation, I was able to share what food is to me, which might be different than it is to some people. And so it was very raw, but uh, very gratifying. And And what is food to you, Martha? Food to me at its base level is survival. It is, you know, it's a part, it's a necessity as much as water and warmth. And to know that on a very real level, 
I, I was able to be placed in an, a place of appreciation where somewhere along my journey at Nogi, food transitioned from being survival to being of service. And, and I think that's what Noki taught me is when you can provide food in service of an event or a memory or for a season like Mardi Gras, it becomes something completely different and it becomes a celebration. And so it kind of hand in hand, that transition went through what I was going through with my own life. I no longer was eating to survive. I was eating to celebrate. When did you decide to pursue King Cake as a business model? And tell me the story about the cake and how it came to be. Well, uh, before Christmas break, uh, my wonderful mentor and chef at Noki, Zach Miller, had, you know, mentioned if any of you ever wanted to make king cakes on the side, you know, just he's always encouraging us to try new things. So I was in Charleston for Christmas and about five days before carnival season started I said why why not like I'm I think I've got an idea and so I contacted one of my fellow students London Lahost and uh I said hey you want to make king cakes and she said sure so we sat down on a picnic table and I draw up an LLC and, and we just figure out figure it out along the way and what was very neat is we said we'll deliver yeah because no one wanted to leave their houses and so well, just, and we had no idea what we we're doing, um, so it was a trip. This Mardi Gras, you've decided to leave the the world of the the pastry chef in an institutional setting. Um, you've decided to leave that behind. Tell me about uh, making the decision to keep that Nolita going, and 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 what's the future? Well, um, you know, my my partner in the beginning, she had. She moved to Boston, is doing fantastic up there. Um, and I wasn't sure. I, you know, I thought I wanted to pursue this. And I became a pastry chef at a restaurant. And I was actually having coffee with my mentor one day. And he said, I envy your lack of social filter. Uh, um, because the desserts, the pastries that I want to make, um, I made one for Nalfi last year and won a gold medal. And I just... I, what was it? It it was a play, ironically, on a Ramos Gin Fizz, and it had gold pop rocks and juniper meringue and gin compressed peaches, which I couldn't try because of the gin. Um, but I I have this need to create these wild, weird, and witchy things that don't make any sense until you try them, and I, I don't want to spend the next ten years making them for somebody else, and so. I decided after I'd interviewed with Matt Haynes for the Big Book of King Cake, and once I saw the book, I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I called my parents and said, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do every bit of it. I'm, you know, I'm all in, all the cards. At this point in my life, I have truly lost everything before. And so whatever I'm risking right now is is not in comparison that scary. Um, it is still terrifying, you know, Uh but it's exciting, and I feel like I could chase this thing for the next 25 years and still be excited about it. Martha Gilreath of New Orleans pop-up bakery, Nolita. To learn more, go to nolitakingcakes.com. Yes, 
She Ships King Cakes, or visit Martha in person on Thursday afternoons throughout the carnival season at Sam Caruso's Lousy Ice Cream, which operates out of the back door at Blue Dot Donuts on Canal Street. And while you're there, you just might treat yourself to some of Lousy's ice cream. There's a lot of deliciousness going on over there. You'll thank me for this one. Cake Hub is a beloved community resource during carnival season. Now in its fourth year, King Cake Hub offers King Cake Craze New Orleanians access to all their favorites from bakeries across Louisiana in a one-stop shop. The concept was the brainchild of Will Samuels, who was taken by cancer in September of last year at the age of 52. In 2019, we were fortunate to join Will at his pop-up's first location on Canal Street, shortly after its grand opening on January 6th. Hi, I'm Will Samuels. I'm the owner of the King Cake Hub. Well, I like to call you the Baron of King Cakes. Is that okay, Will? It is fine. I'm actually very honored by that title. Thank you for that. You know, before I even branch out into the questions surrounding this, what was it like here on January 6th when you celebrated the Epiphany? It was a great day, and to be able to launch the King Cake Hub on that date, it was fantastic. We had uh, Betty Grunch in the bunch, uh, Panorama Brass Band, where they were on a streetcar, and where they got off their streetcar and they were playing as we marched down a block to be able to have the King Cake cutting. And then Professor Carl Naval uh, was there with Grand Marshal Mardi Gras, uh, and they cut the first piece with Grand Hoopla. And we had such a great crowd, and we had a number of King Cakes that we were sampling out, and there were probably about 250 people, I think, uh, along with the number of, uh, of TV cameras and folks Facebooking live, and then a lot of people in the hub checking it out. I was really very pleased with it. It's, a, it's, it's such a great way for us. It's like we want to have that first party at Carnival. We want to have that first spot in the morning to have your first piece of king cake in Carnival. Tell us about this concept you're working here. Well, the idea was to have a central location where people can get king cakes without having to drive out to Homa or to the West Bank or to River Ridge to be in one central spot. There was a customer a couple of weeks ago who had a king cake from Kanata's and Kaluta's and Haido, and I was calculating and I said, I just saved you about three hours and 48 minutes of driving around town. Someone actually said it was kind of like the big easy of king cake shopping. It's for people who are lazy and don't want to have to go driving around. Yeah, okay, that's a good New, or New Orleans style of king cake shopping. Now, one of the things that astounded me when I heard about your plan was that you were going to be out here every day from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. or until the king cakes ran out. Seven days a week, come rain or shine. Tell me about what you've been dealing with, like the weatherman out here, my goodness. 
It has been uh, a challenge on a few of the days. We had a couple of rainy days and a couple of very cold days. But what was remarkable, I think, is on those days is that we've had people that were coming through the doors. When it was driving down rain here, there were still customers that were coming and looking for king cakes. And even on the days that we were bundled up, People were still coming out. And so, you know, we kind of have a duty there now to make sure that folks around town get their king cakes. And so we're with that duty comes great responsibility. So we're going to be here, uh, rain or shine. And everybody has been great. The staff has been great. Uh, the customers have been very accommodating. And they're coming out even in days when it's uh, too cold or too hot or too rainy. So. I think people living in other parts of the world would be amazed that we pay this much attention and would put year-long planning into king cake. It's true. And it, this is something that's been in the works for a number of months. And people are like, well, what are you going to do after Carnival? Like, well, I'm going to be working on next year's King Cake Hub. We've got a number of ideas of how we can make it bigger and better for next year. And I'm excited about the response that we've had thus far, but also to be able to do different things for season two and we're going to have some some neat things next year i think well thank you will and congratulations i'm honored to know the baron of king cake thank you very much i am honored by that title and i appreciate you coming out from 2019 that was king cake hub founder and my dear friend the late Will Samuels. This year, his widow Jennifer is carrying on the family business, offering over 60 varieties every day from the Zony Mash Beer Project on Broad Street. King Cake Hub also has a new pop-up location at the historic New Orleans Collections gift shop on Royal Street. What is the true origin of our beloved king cake? Stay tuned, and we'll tell you the whole story when we come right back. And you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, breadings, boils, new air fry mixes, and more classic Louisiana dishes available everywhere. Dig into homemade Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, located 40 minutes north of New Orleans French Quarter along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. The delicious Tammany taste culinary scene and an abundance of soft adventure attractions are among the many reasons to love the North Shore's charming communities. Find details on upcoming events, itinerary suggestions, and more at louisiananorthshore.com. Here's this week's culinary quiz question. 
brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. What are the true origins of our beloved king cake? That Matt Haynes sure taught this king cake lover a big lesson. Most people believe our king cake's origins to be French. But according to the Big Book of King Cake, the original king cake can be traced back to ancient Rome's Saturnalia Festival, which was held every year on December 17th. This ancient pagan festival honored the Romans' agricultural god, Saturn. Part of the festivities included a cake with a bean baked inside. And yes, when that cake was sliced and distributed, the lucky bean recipient would become king for a day. Sound familiar? Apparently, after the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 A.D., European Catholics borrowed the Romans' cake tradition, making it part of their Epiphany celebration. So there you have it. We actually have the Romans to thank for our delicious king cake season. It's an indisputable fact that king cake, no matter when or where you eat it, makes for some good Louisiana Eats. At the turn of the 21st century, king cakes glazed with icing and injected with flavorful fillings were all the rage in New Orleans. If a bakery wanted to stand out in this decadent new era, you had to be good. Setting the pace on the growing king cake craze was Randazzo's Camellia City Bakery. For decades, the Slidell family business has been known for their innovative king cake creations, all rooted in a tradition that goes back generations. I think of us as the oldie goodies. Uh, you know, we, we've been around a long time and, and we don't change. That's co-owner of Randazzo's Camellia City Bakery, Trisha Randazzo Zorns. My dad instilled in us very strict ways of making that king cake, and we continue it today. It really is the old school way. I mean, you can even look around our bakery right now. You don't see conveyor belts. It's just a bunch of tables and some mixers and some ovens. That's Zach Zorns, Trisha's son and director of operations. We don't do it the fastest or the quickest way. We, we like to do it the best way that tastes the best and makes the, make, makes the most sense for us and our, and our customers. The Randazzo family name has been synonymous with king cakes since 1965, the year Trisha's dad and two uncles opened Highland Bakery in Violet, Louisiana. After they moved to Chalmette in 1971, Trisha's husband, Lou Zorns, joined the family business. Following her dad's retirement in 1996, Trisha and Lou opened their own bakery on the North Shore, where they now focus all their energy on king cake production. We caught up with Trisha and her son, Zach, the next generation of baking randazzos, at their Camellia Street Bakery in Slidell. They started by sharing their earliest king cake memories. Mine was in, in Violet, Louisiana. I mean, we would go over there and my mom would be making cakes and everything. My dad would be the baker. Um, you know, my uncles were in there, my grandfather. It, it was just a big family affair. My, my earliest memory would be in the, in the mid 80s when I was in kindergarten. Uh, and, and I remember during the carnival time, 
different people would bring king cakes over for the kids and then we'd cut them up and I couldn't wait to bring uh, my family's king cake over so when they did bring the uh, king cake over I, I made sure you know my mom was always super sweet with it and she made sure that every slice had a baby in it so all the kids got the baby and it was just it, it was it was always a special surprise I, I, I've and I felt like a little celebrity and I remember when I was a kid as well taking our class over to uh, the, the original bakery in Chalmette to do a field trip and we were giving all the kids donuts. That was always been special. Anything for you. <laughs> now, I see from all of the different choices that you have in king cakes now that you all have moved along with that king cake evolution of filled king cakes. But you go back to before anybody was sticking anything but cinnamon in king cake, huh? Um, I'm not sure if we're the first or, or what, but it's back there. It goes a long way. We've um, And we do ours different than everybody else, too, I think. We pump our filling in between the braids, and our dough is braided, and then the filling goes in between, and it's not just one big jelly roll. Mm. And what are the earliest flavors that you – because, you know, once upon a time, there was just king cake, king cake, king cake, mm-hmm. and now there's – king cake to the moon and back right exactly <laughs> the first one would be cream cheese cream or the fruit fillings because uh, i mm-hmm. think the fruit fillings made an easy transition from mm-hmm. donuts and, and other kinds of um well, bakery the, types of uh, the donuts they right. could easily pump the king cakes too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how often do you eat king cake do you eat king cake every day Pretty daily right now <laughs> especially during the season my favorite last year is different than this year uh, right now I, I have my favorite is uh strawberry and cream cheese mix it's just delicious i have a bunch of favorites i think anything mixed with cream cheese tastes great uh, all the fruit fillings taste great with cream cheese our pecan praline is one of my favorites as well as the traditional in terms of how often i eat it uh, i'd like to bring one home to my beautiful wife and son i'd say at least once a week where they get to enjoy it sometimes i bring it you know uh where i let my son decorate his own little king cake when he gets home and it, it just it's just a fun surprise we call luke the chief tasting officer at He's five years old, and he's so precious. Yes. (laughs) Has the field trip come here yet, or are you baking the king cake with the king cake baby in every slice for him? No, no. (laughs) He's taking taking multiple trips to the bakery, but he hasn't hasn't been here when we're actually – the making the cakes we usually we always make them in the middle of the night so his favorite thing is rolling the racks around you know yeah that's true (laughs) legacy is a wonderful thing to have but sometimes those in line were not so much interested in taking over the legacy how has that worked in your family well it was like a no-brainer for me I um like all those years I was a court reporter but I guess for some reason I knew I was going to be in the bakery business one day and I tried doing both when we first opened up I tried being a court reporter and doing bakery and my husband says Trisha if you're going to be in this business you're going to have to give up one or the other and so I gave up court reporting came in the business and stayed and then never looked back and as far as Zach's concerned I know he gave up a lot to be with us but I prayed for a long time for him to be in the business, so my prayers were answered. They were always in my. It, it's funny. There, there was a time early when, when obviously when I was I was younger, when I was in college or not, my dad would always be like, "Oh, it, you know." He, I think you were trying to get me to join, and he would be like, "Oh, you know, you don't want to be in front of the oven. It, it, you know, it's it's not it's not the most uh, fun occupation in terms of, of dealing with the heat and whatnot." But uh, slowly but surely, I, I think both of you ended up, yeah always saying you know 
you know, to come come on board, you know, and it it, it worked out. I'm, I'm happy. I couldn't be happier. And Zach, how are you feeling about Luke and the ovens? <laughs> if, if it's something that um, he's he has a passion for, I'll 110% support it and teach him every every trick that I've learned over the years and picked up. Um, I just want him to be happy and healthy and, and just enjoy life. So wherever his uh, passions take him, I'll completely support it. So, Amen to that. The life of the king cake baker during the king cake season is really something else. Tell me what the hours are like and let's talk numbers because they have to be fascinating. The numbers are, are uh, mind-numbing. Uh, they're thousands upon thousands upon thousands uh, daily. Yeah, daily and, and then throughout the season. I, I work the oven all the time, 12 to 14 to 16 hours plus a day. Uh, but uh, it, it, you feel like a zombie, but it, it's well worth it, especially when uh, you see the smiles on your customers' faces and, and people are enjoying the, the taste of your king cake. It makes it all worthwhile. So what are the hours of the baker? When do you come in? What happens? I, I come in right after dinner time. So as, as soon as dinner's over with my family, I'd say, about seven, eight o'clock, I say bye to them, and, and I, I come over to the bakery and um, start the process. And we'll be baking, uh, depending on how many cakes we have to bake that day, we'll be baking up until easily 8 a.m., 9 a.m., all to, to wait noon. We've, we've, we've baked all the way well into the afternoons and 2, 3 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. just to, just to keep, yeah, try to keep up. Mm-hmm. When does this all get geared up and you start making king cakes? We, we start um, usually about mid-December mm-hmm. is when we start. We, we found out that was probably the most comfortable time for us as well as our customers. King cakes in, in the, the Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday time always go really well together. Uh-huh. So and I personally love the, the Christmas colored sprinkles as well as the, the shapes that we make. Uh, we make a candy cane shape, a Christmas tree shape, a reshape, a Papa Noel. There's so many different things that we make that were just permutations of the, the regular Mardi Gras king cake shape that it, it, it seemed to go really well together. So you all continue to innovate and grow and change. What's going to come new with your generation, Zach? I don't know. The sky's <laughs> the limit. This, his wheels are turning. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm also a, a big proponent of if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So, uh, you know, obviously the recipe's there and the, the process is there. It's just more or less streamlining things and, and making things more efficient and just trying to please as many people as possible. I knew that you all had to be the king of king cakes when I saw that you actually had kingcakes.com as your URL. That was quite impressive. I I, I can tell you a funny story of... uh, Okay, go ahead. Spill okay. which, what, what, what you want to spill? Okay. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, I, obviously, there, there, there's two main ways of saying king cakes. Either, you know, king cakes, plural or singular. And um, I asked her a long time ago. I'm like, Mom, I'm like, why why'd you get just the plural one and not the singular one? And this is right when, you know, the internet was coming out. It, it, right. And she was like, I only needed one. I didn't want to be greedy. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like... <laughs> That's true. I know. That's a God's honest truth. I didn't want to be greedy. Oh. Would have known the internet would have been like it is today. You all are really yeah. special people. It is such a treat to be here with you. Thank you. We're, we're thankful for all of our customers and, and happy for our employees and, and just um, right. thank everybody. We just want everybody to be blessed. Yeah. And there's enough to go around. King cakes for right. everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
That was Trisha Randazzo-Zorns and her son, Zach Zorns, at Randazzo's Camellia City Bakery in Slidell. To hear the extended version of this 2020 interview, visit our website at poppytooker.com. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where we have 10 years of Louisiana Eats editions available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. If you like our show, please rate it on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta. Handcrafted in Louisiana from semolina wheat and air-dried over rods in wooden cellars, D'Agostino Pasta is made just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris, and producer Blake Longlinay. And to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.